I love the University of Montana, and I love the college business. I, um, you know, you look back, and that was, that was a long time ago, back in the early 80s. But I tell you, the experience I had and the people I met, both that are friends of mine today and even the professors that I was able to work, I mean, I just had such a wonderful experience. This is A New Angle, and I'm your host, Justin Angle, marketing professor at the University of Montana College of Business. This podcast is my chance to speak with cool people doing awesome things in and around the great state of Montana. We are proudly underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot. Hey folks, welcome back, and thanks for tuning in. Today, it's my honor to welcome one of my favorite Missoulians to the podcast, Scott Burke. Scott is president and CEO of First Security Bank and a pillar of leadership and integrity in our community. This year, the College of Business honors Scott with the 2020 Outstanding Alumni Award. It is well-earned. Scott's contributions to economic development and community health in Western Montana are an inspiration. It was great to learn more about Scott and the values he brings to First Security Bank and the many other organizations he supports. I'm excited for you to hear Scott's story right now. So I'm here today with Scott Burke, President and CEO of First Security Bank. Scott, thanks for coming on the podcast. Oh, glad to do it, Justin. Well, this one has been a long time coming. I think uh, you'd either have to be a first-time listener or living under a rock to not know that First Security Bank has been a presenting sponsor, a co-presenting sponsor of this podcast uh, almost since our inception. So I want to just get that on the record and, and thank you. For, for being a, a supporter of what we're doing here uh, with the podcast, but more generally, all that you do to support the college business, the university, and our community. Um, let's talk first, Scott. You know, I want listeners to kind of learn a little bit more about you. You've been uh, in this role at First Security Bank for a number of years, um, a 1985 graduate of the university. Yeah, kind of paint the picture of... Um, how you got into banking and got into this particular spot? <laughs> uh, not, you know, being in banking, it's not too glamorous, but I'll tell you when I was in college, I, I really had no aspirations of becoming a banker. And it really, I don't know. I just, I, I didn't look at it as being a, uh, anything that would bring much excitement. Uh, some of my schooling kind of pointed me in different directions, but when I uh, graduated in 85, uh, the economy was a little, little bleak, and uh, um, I had to go out and find some work. And I, was, I ended up moving to Seattle temporarily, as interviewing up there, IBM, a couple of companies. And I got a call from a buddy, of course, you know who you know, saying that uh, their their company was interviewing for a manager training position in Southern California. And he said, you should apply, at least uh, come down. We'll be able to spend some time together even if you don't get or take the job. So I did that. I uh, went down to San Diego and I interviewed for this job and, and uh, it was offered to me. And so that's really how I started in the financial services industry. Um, it was a division of Bank of America named Finance America. And um, so that's kind of what started it. I, I, what, what, I don't know, I guess, I guess what was interesting is really how much I learned and really what, what banking was all about and all the different attributes that came with it, not just, you know, domestic, but international business, trade, um, investments, capital markets, 
things like that. So when when I was put into this training program, which was a couple year program, it really opened my eyes. Like, oh yeah, this is actually really cool. A lot of avenues you can go in this industry. So I started in the banking business back in '85, and that's where I'm at today. It seems like it, it seems like more and more that those sort of classic two-year training programs with these big companies, be it a Bank of America or, you know, when I got out of school in the 90s, that was sort of the the program. A lot of folks went to Wall Street and did these two-year stints with, uh, you know, an investment bank or something like that. Um, those sort of programs are, are kind of going away uh, in some ways. Um, you are You are right on. I mean – Back in the day, like what you were used to when you graduated, that's that's how the banking industry was trained. The bigger banks, especially, would have these, you know, really really cool training programs. And what I think happened over the years, and of course we've had a few ups and downs in the economy over the years. I, I think what happened was is they ended up training all the bankers for the other institutions throughout the U.S. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, if you look at it, I can name three people at First Security Bank here that went through one of those training programs and now ended up as a community bank. So I I think, you know, back when, you know, the recession we went through 10 years ago and, and there were a lot of banks that uh, didn't make it through it or were ultimately acquired, um, a lot of those programs went away. You just don't see them today like you used to. And it's really too bad. And, and now us as community bankers you know we're trying our best but boy we just don't give these candidates the breadth that uh, we were able to get uh, when we were younger indeed so talk about your move back to montana when you came back to uh take the opportunity at, at, at first security and um you know you progressed into the the president role fairly fairly quickly <laughs> Yeah, it was kind of unique. I always, you know, I, I, I ended up being in California for 14 years. But uh, if anybody ever asked me, you know, where you lived, I always said, well, I'm from Montana, but I live here. Um, I always knew I wanted to get back. And I was really lucky during that time I was down there that I, I met a gal from Billings, Montana, and we ended up getting married and having children. And what, what it really got to is we knew we wanted to get back. Matter of fact, we'd come back to Montana for the holidays, different holidays. I'd come, we knew we wanted to be in Missoula. I'd come over here. Wasn't sure I wanted to stay in the banking business, but then that's really all I knew at that time. Mm -hmm. So I talked to bankers a little bit. And um, we, my wife and I at the time had uh, three young boys. And we thought, boy, it'd be great to be able to raise them here. So that's kind of how it happened. And then Gosh, in 1998 is when Bank of America was bought by Nations Bank. And I had progressed through my career. Uh, it was a great career. I loved everything about it down there. But, boy, I could see the writing was on the wall that things were, were changing, and they're yes. changing very quickly. And so I reached out to a few of those bankers that I had met in Missoula, especially um, – Bill Boucher and Hal Frazier, who I was just so impressed with how they had put this bank together and um, called them and said, hey, is there anything open? And and they really didn't have much open, but they said, we'll hire you as a lender and 
and uh, we're got a bunch of old people around here that are, we're going to need some succession planning at some point so there might be some opportunity so that's that's how i got back and that was 1999 sure and sounds like some some wisdom in there in that you have some some clarity with regard to what your family values are and the way the situation in which you want to um, raise your family that you're willing to kind of you know, hit your wagon to an organization that you believe in, maybe not um, the role that you are aspiring to, but but getting in the door and trying to take an opportunity to make things happen. Sounds like what might Justin, have been. I, I, I got to give a ton of credit to my wife, Tana, who's, you know, always, if you look back in any decisions that we made throughout our life together, she's made the good one, <laughs> <laughs> except maybe picking me, but um I, I'll, I'll never forget. I, I, we had flown back and I, I interviewed again with, um, with the bank and the, the management team at first security and they offered me the job and have this lender. And I got out and we were, we we're driving back out to the airport and I had to pull over into one of the shopping centers. I said, I, I don't, I don't think we can do this. Hmm. I said, I'm taking an 80% pay cut. <laughs> yep. And uh, she looked at me and she said, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll make it work. And this is where our family needs to be. And this is where our kids need to be raised. We'll make it work. And I said, all right. Nice. And uh, I just give her just a ton of credit. She always makes pretty good decisions. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of times those leaps of faith, if you're, you know, if, if, if you kind of have a clear vision of where you want to end up, um, you can jump in a valley to, to make it happen. Um a term you've used a couple times in the conversation already is community bank. And so that's, you know, how you would describe um, First Security Bank. Talk about the difference between, like, what is a community bank and how is it different than uh, some of these conglomerates that well, we mentioned earlier in the conversation? It, it's really it's really easy to explain and, 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 and you'll get it when I start talking. But, you know, I, I look at my time at you know, a fine institution, Bank of America. And I, like I said, I had a great career and, and what a, you know, what a place to learn banking and an economy like there were in, throughout Southern California. But, you know, it, it was, it, in some respects, it was, it was taking numbers, mm. you know, looking at numbers and making decisions based on numbers. And I came back here and the first couple of months I'm, I'm back at this bank, I'm going, oh my God. This is real banking. I mean, you're sitting there talking about the individuals. You're talking about the families. You're talking about the histories they've had in the community. You know them. And you're making decisions based on people and their character, which is part of the, you know, three and four C's of credit. Um, but that didn't get used much at the big bank. It's just really fun to transition into that where, yeah, numbers, there had to be numbers there. And they, um, but it was it was a real fun transition for me, and it 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 really makes you able to not only you know you know go to work every day and make decisions, but you get to see um, you know how your labor is is, is generating some positivity in a community, and you're mm -hmm. part of that community. And so how does that work with, I mean, I, we're skipping some steps in, ter in, in terms of getting into your leadership tenure at, at First Security. But, you know, I'm thinking about those kind of the poles as you described them there. You know, at the community bank level, you're, you're really connecting with, with individual applicants for credit. You're trying to understand their character, make judgments there. 
at a larger institution, you're, you're just sort of looking at reams of data and spreadsheets and numbers. Um, I suppose the two have the two polls have value in terms of making smart credit choices. Um, how do you in, in your role now? How do you how do you and your team kind of balance those the you know the use of data, but also the use of the kind of proverbial eyeball check of the the loan application? <laughs> well, I, I, I think um, I think that's why why we have the regulatory side of our business also. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, over the years, even even in the 21 years since I've been back in Missoula, the the level of scrutiny coming from our regulators, no matter which which group is is regulating you, they they've um, they've tightened up significantly, and they they are in some respects they're such a good watchdog, looking over our shoulders, making sure not only are we making good decisions just based on character, but having the structure in place in terms of collateral and cash flow and and the things that make the, the, the deal work. I mean, I've, I've seen a huge change in my career and how we had underwrite credit back in the, the day, and then it kind of went lax a little bit, and now to back where it is today. Um, you got a lot of... Um, checks and balances mm-hmm. making sure you're doing things are right and for a company like ours i, I think that's good or, or any company yeah and it seems too that you have an organization that that's got strong commitments to community and strong commitments to equity and diversity and a lot of that your know, regulatory regime and internal controls would have to you know be be thoughtfully constructed to allow you to kind of act on some of those values they, they do. They do. And, and they require, as you grow, I mean, we don't, we don't ever talk about our size, but it's, you know, your success, the bank continues to grow. And, and in our business, as you grow, there's, there's factors that come into play and other, other policies that become, you know, much more critical than they were when you're a small bank. And one of them is the Community Reinvestment Act, CRA. Um, whereas, you know, I, we're, we're, we're looked at in terms of our commitment to our communities and helping those most in need, the lower income, those without housing, things like that. We are looked at as much there as we are on the credit side of the bank today. And what's fun about it is, is I'm never worried about that. I mean, the way this bank was put together and how it grew up and people that, um, started it and then just you know brought others in uh, under the same way they created a culture that you know any success we have is going to be is truly due to the community and the community members so let's be really involved with them and let's give as much as we can and that's how i think this bank has grown and it's been become so successful yeah talk about that a little bit more you've used that phrase uh how we put you know how this bank was put together a couple of times and yeah, let's draw that out. What is that? What does that exactly mean? How's this? How would you describe the culture and, and what decisions have have you witnessed or been involved in to help bring it to life? I think it's worth noting just in a little history of this bank. I mean, this this bank, I, I believe it was started in 1974. We're coming up on our 50th anniversary, but I'll tell you, during the 70s and 80s, this thing was a disaster, and <laughs> it had gone through different ownership and different leadership and you know, people that ended up in jail, it went all over the gamut. But I think one of the records it held was in the Minneapolis Fed 
we were, we held the longest cease and desist order <laughs> in, in the history of of the bank. So um, uh, I you got to look back at, at that and and say, boy, this thing was just uh, not really well run and a lot of greedy, I think, individuals part of it. To where then people came in, new ownership. Um, guy by the name of Hal Frazier, who many, many people out there know and cherish. He was at this bank and, and the owner that, that, that bought it at the time in the late 80s came to Hal and said, Hal, we're going to need somebody to help us run this thing. Um, I'm not going to be the guy here making every decision. And Hal said, well, I know that Bill Boucher um, isn't very happy where he's at. And he's one of the best known bankers in the state of Montana. And ultimately, Mr. O'Brien was able to convince Bill to come over. Hmm. And with Bill and Hal and then the team that they created, and then ultimately Bill and Hal and the group and, and a group of local business people bought the bank, they they just turned this thing into what they had probably cherished in the other organizations they had worked for. They took the best of what they saw and put it into this thing called First Security Bank. And it just, uh, I, I, I got to pull those out sometime, but I, I did find the recipe cards that Bill had put together when he was first introduced to the staff, kind of lining out how things were going to be from mm -hmm. this point forward. And it was about community. It was about family. It was about, you know, we're not going to have parties and celebrations at this bank without inviting your family because trouble happens when you don't. Mm -hmm. and I'm not going to be the one making all the money. We're going to share that throughout the ranks, and that is just, and we're going to share that with the community, and that's just what started, and it's been so fun to be part of carrying that on. Yeah, let's talk about that. I mean, you've been in this, this president-CEO role for a, a number of years now. How do you kind of try to carry that torch and preserve and invest and adapt that culture, you know, as, as the community grows and changes. You know, I, 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 I stepped into a, to a really great machine and I just tried to my best to carry on some of those values and some of those processes that have been put in place. But at the same time, as we even became more successful, knowing that we can do even more, and so trying to focus, you know, making sure everybody at the bank has a role in, in being part of the community. Part of what, what we've done, and it's always been the case, is you know, 10 to 20% of every officer's performance review is based on community service. Hmm. Um, and that's fun. And people come into this bank going, oh, geez, I got, I got to do what? I got to sit on boards and volunteer my time. And it's not too much after that that they go, oh, wow, how rewarding is this? And how fun it is to be able to get out of the bank and put my talents to use in other ways. And is there like some – how is that kind of service – celebrated internally is there some sort of way that you know that employees can share stories or talk to each other about what's what's going like how is it kind of infused into the culture of the organization we talk about it every friday huh yeah we meet every friday friday morning at what we call our sales or officers meeting and we talk about what we did that week we don't write it down or fill out you know call report we talk about what each each officer did that week and what they're involved in and 
did you know this is happening? And, and this week is this nonprofit's fundraiser. Um, and it's that same meeting then that we approve all of our sponsorships and donations. It's not a single person making that. It's the entire group gets a, gets a vote on where we, where we invest. And that's both time and money. So we do. It's just it's something that's talked about all the time. And it really is in, is it, what I've seen. It, people just embrace it. And decisions are made that way. Whereas, you know, um, gosh, this is this is a real struggle. But boy, is that needed in this community mm-hmm. with everything that we see happening in terms of the degradation of family and things like that. Decisions are made because we just really, I just think people care more. Can you give some examples of how how some some particular decisions that the you know the officers come together sharing some of these stories and this ethic, um, maybe decisions that wouldn't have happened otherwise? You look at some of these deals. I mean, a great example that uh, people can see today because it's 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 happening right right as we speak. But the YWCA. Mm-hmm. Um, they knew and they've known for, for a long time that they, they were not prepared to handle the need in, in, in Western Montana and the city of Missoula in the facilities that they had and, and the way they were operating. Um, and they had talked about it for a long time, what they really needed to do. And they, 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 the, the collaboration that they did, bringing you know, private sector and other nonprofits together to say, you know, let's, let's not look at this just one off let's let's look at this holistically and they came up with you know we're we're gonna we're gonna need this new facility and it's gonna be you know at the time i can't remember i think it's 14 16 million dollar facility we're going (laughs) there's no way right yeah that's ever gonna happen but i will tell you that that if you drive by third street you'll see that that thing is going to be completed next year and there's walls are up and there's a roof on it and inside is being formed but what what happened there is everybody got created creative and bill boucher and his wife and others put together a a committee along with the ywca staff to go out and fundraise and they put together teams so i think they ultimately raised about seven million dollars and then um uh, a group in town called MoFi has mm-hmm. a product called these new market tax credits. And we're one of the banks in the state that have done a lot of these and understand them. They're, they're complicated deals. But I give credit to my team, Barb Callahan, Brendan Briggs and the rest, that they understand this. And they were able to present a package to the YWCA to gap what they needed in terms of capital to make this thing happen. So, you know, it's just going the extra mile to figure these things out for the betterment of all. Yeah, and that's such an important framing, Scott, that you know, think of these instances as opportunities to, you know, preserve and extend incredible resources that kind of make this place what it is, rather than, you know, simply seeing, you know, the YMCA as an opportunity to do a deal and, and make some money, Um and now you've got such a critical organization that's financially healthy, right? Like they, they, it's set up to to endure exactly. and to thrive. A new angle is brought to you by First Security Bank and Blackfoot, two cool companies doing awesome things all over Montana. I'm Larry Summers, Harvard President Emeritus and former Treasury Secretary. You're listening to a new angle. 
Well, they, they, they went out and, 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 and you know, took affiliations with other nonprofits having the same, you know, similar issues. And they, they were, the Interfaith Collaborative is part of that also. And mm-hmm. it's, it's really cool when you see everybody start crossing lines and uh, finding the best way to collaborate because you just can't do it alone. And so that that kind of ethic of service, you know, amongst your 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 core leadership team and your officers, um, you also have you know new employees, young folks coming in in junior positions. Uh, how do you go about kind of helping them figure out, you know, that that one that that's an important ethic, giving back and participating in the community, and then you know sometimes younger folks maybe struggle for for how to do that, how to make those connections, how to access you know board seats or. Or, or volunteer opportunities, they do. They do, and and we try to provide a couple of things. What's really interesting to see is a lot of these. You said some of the younger people and some of the people just starting in the industry, and um, you know they they have they have all kinds of needs themselves. They they get to actually use some of the services that we're so used to supporting in terms of childcare and some of these things. So they get to, you know, we talk about, they see what we're doing as a business, as individuals and as a business and how we're investing these dollars and time. And it's impacting them also positively. Mm-hmm. But then we, we try, you know, we can't be too overbearing, but we try to invite the staff to participate if they'd like. And there's always um, several events, at least during the year, that um, um, we can invite a lot of our staff to take some time and participate. We, we can't, we can't be too overburdening, but we, uh, uh, I know last year during the month of May, we, we, uh, offered the opportunity to volunteer for the dragon's hollow. Um, we also offered them time for habitat for humanity mm-hmm. and a couple others. And, you know, they embrace that and then they can see what it's all about. Um, some of them do that without, having to hold their hands they just it's part of their fiber and they others kind of need you to point them in a direction and then it's up to them to proceed sure absolutely so we talked um i think it was a couple months back we had you on our our covid collab series and this was right when you were in the thick of sort of the cares act had just been passed and the money was being pushed out through banks like first security and others um, to get to families, to get to businesses, et cetera. You were in the thick of it, and you learned a lot about your organization and so forth. Tell us kind of about, um, you know, with a couple months to reflect on that, not that we're out of the woods, but but what's been your your kind of take on on how these programs sort of came together to, to, to hopefully benefit um, businesses and individuals in our community? Uh, I'd be happy to. You know, I'm really – I. I am truly very, very proud of not only our crew and staff, but the staffs and crew of these other community banks that uh, us in rural Montana um, truly should appreciate even more during these times. We uh, we're all hands on deck, trying our best to figure out first of all what this what these funds meant, how to how how to apply for them, how to help your customers apply, how to you know, forgive the debt if it's, if it's all at all possible and a lot of education, but everybody, I just, we had a lot of success in, 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 in getting applications in and getting, um, these small businesses funded. 
Um, and, and, and my associates at, at other community banks throughout um, our area also did a very admirable job. So I want to applaud them. That wasn't the case in a lot of places. Mm -hmm. And um, um, so I, I, I hope, you know, these I call even Missoula rural community based on some of the big metropolitan areas. Um, you should you should uh, you should be very thankful for the uh, for the banking services that you have. But anyway, you know, that was all hands on deck and it was crazy trying to figure it out because every day it was changing. Right. And so we got through that and, and now we're at the point and, you know, our customers got the money and some used it, some didn't need to necessarily use it, but we got money out there in their hands. Um, now we're, we're going through the process of the forgiveness piece of it. And, you know, if you recall, part of part or all of that debt should be forgiven if it was used properly. So we're trying our best that that uh, those <laughs> those processes have continued to change mm -hmm. um, sometimes daily, but at least weekly. So we've just um, encouraged our, our customers to be patient because things have not uh, really come around and, and they've changed the deadlines as to when a lot of this had to happen. So we're going through that and then uh, while all this is happening, the uh, Montana Board of Investments and the additional monies that they got out of the CARES Act it's created uh, the, the payment deferral program. So <laughs> we got a crew still working on the PPP, and then this comes out. So um, we've dedicated an, another entire group to help our customers take advantage of these uh, the deferrals up to um, in this program. They can defer um, uh, the interest portion of their payments for up to 12 months, actually not just defer, the program pays for it. So we go from uh, finishing up those the PPP applications now to the MBOI applications, and we've had some really good success. We've just now uh, gone through the process of getting uh, approvals in place, and monies are actually being reimbursed to us to make those payments. So it's it's been a lot of work and and some i mean if you looked at it from the outside you, th you think as bankers were crazy because it didn't seem we knew what we we're talking about but the rules <laughs> kept changing it was just it was absolutely nuts but yeah it's 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 i think getting to the right people to the right businesses is there more needed yeah probably uh -huh. um i i think um we're gonna there's gonna be you, you really can't tell right now justin there's so much fluff out there right now. You can't really tell who's struggling and who's not. Right. You can in some, but you know, so many, if you're looking at it as a banker, you know, you're, you're seeing payments come in. You're saying, well, they're making their payments, but are they making that with stimulus money or are they making it from cash flow? Mm -hmm. We're not going to know. We will not know for another year who really, really, really um, is struggling and who's not. But overall, you, you're 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 pretty bullish on on the health of the economic health of this community. I am. Yeah, I am. And, and you know, and where we live, um, uh, people are looking out for each other, and, and I love that. Um, I mean, it's crazy out there right now. Everything that's going on throughout our entire nation. But I think you still have some very caring people here, and we're gonna we're gonna be there for each other to get through this stuff. Mm -hmm. And you're seeing, I mean, we talked about it a little bit before we started recording today. You're seeing signs of some pent-up demand, particularly in, in the real estate side of things. Um, it could be inventory-driven mm -hmm. and, and, and so yeah, forth. But, but, yeah, talk about that. 
it's um you know i i it's really kind of funny i i I look at anything like right now that's related to construction contractors and building and both commercial and residential and everybody there seems to be doing pretty darn well Mm -hmm. Um, i mean they're doing really well their biggest problem right now is getting product in um, because of everything that's happened you know with ppp and other or uh, with COVID throughout the nation um but there's a lot of you look at the real estate market right now. I mean, it's really rare to be in a recession and have a housing shortage. Yeah, yeah. And having housing appreciation going on like we're seeing because of the shortage and the shortage of attainable and affordable housing. These are opportunities that I think are, are, are I think going to help us get out of this thing fairly quickly. We're seeing a lot of commercial growth where companies. Um, They've been hit, but they're continuing on with their, some expansions that they had in mind. Um, pipelines are, are actually pretty strong. And, and if you look at it, Justin, the rest of the world in the United States, they kind of looked at Montana and they go, well, that's really kind of weird. They're not really getting impacted as much as everybody else. Mm-hmm. Is. And, and boy, I think we've all seen that. Um, you'll, you can talk to the real estate industry and there's a lot of stories out there about these properties being bought sight unseen cash deals. Um, in some respects, I think that's good. In other respects, is that going to artificially inflate real estate so our kids can't afford it? (laughs) You know, you got to think of it that way too. Yeah. It's hard to know. I mean, there's the, there was a point and at that point, maybe we're still in it, but you would look at a map. Uh, of, of you know a, a map that charted coronavirus cases uh, across the country and Montana looked pretty darn attractive and I think we we've seen a lot of that influx of folks either coming here to hide out coming here to you know recreate their lives and, and raise their families in different ways um, and, and all kinds of combinations of that and that's going to put like you said you know sometimes that brings in cash deals and and, and quick um, People buying up real estate quickly. Other times, it, it changes the community in different ways. That's got to be something you know that you're observing and thinking about as, as as not only a leader in the community but a leader of of a lending institution. Absolutely, absolutely. We talk about it all the time. You know, I'm part of these different organizations like Missoula Economic Partnership, and you know, we want to make sure you know we we grow, but we want to grow in the right way. We want our community to grow in the manner in which we're used to. Um, we still want to have blue collar here. This can't be it. You know, we don't want to turn this into another just tech tech outline mm-hmm. area and make things so unattainable in terms of price that you can't live here. So yeah, I, we got to promote all different levels of, of industry and all different kinds. We want it to be clean, of course. Um, don't want to start putting up uh, smokestacks again, but yeah, I mean, you think about that all the time. Um, Missoula is one of those areas too that, you know, Bozeman, Missoula, the Flathead, um, really attractive outdoor opportunities that, you know, people are starting to just, it's, it's part of their lives and they're thriving to become, um, to live it a, a, a lot more than they can in the metropolitan area. So I think we're naturally going to see, um, people trying to move here mm-hmm. and that could stimulate some good things and hopefully stimulate some good jobs that we need. Right. All, all sorts of opportunities and challenges. Speaking of opportunities, Scott, you've mentioned, you mentioned MEP a moment ago, Missoula Economic Partnership, you know, at your level, 
um, you know, not a community uh, investment involvement um, development is, is a huge part of your value set. And I'm sure you get asked to do, you say yes to a lot of things, but you probably have to say no to some things because um, you probably get asked to do a ton. How do you make choices about where you allocate your um, kind of passions at this at this time? You know, when I was a little bit younger in, <laughs> in my career, I mean, I, I really, I, you know, I, I like it. I love that part of it. I really do. I, I really, I really like being parts of these other organizations. But it also has to tug at your heart a little bit too. You just can't become part of an organization that really doesn't mean anything to you. Mm-hmm. So I've always focused on things that you know, things related to kids, things related to family, things things like that um, have always kind of drawn me to it. And so back early, that's how I made decisions. And you know, I haven't gone through quite a few organizations and terming out as a board member and all. Today, I, I really focus on where where can I focus my time and, and, and some of my the monetary side that is really going to, um, I guess, in some respect, do the best we possibly can to better our community. And um, I've mentioned MEP, but there's there's many others like that. So try to focus on a bigger picture a little bit. Um, and also, you know, after being in the community, as long as I've had, you've I've had the opportunity, like I said, to sit on quite a few boards. So you don't have as many to choose from. Sure. And one of the organizations that, you know, and, and I'm speaking from a position of blatant self-interest here, but one of the organizations that you've dedicated so much time and energy to has been the University of Montana, the College of Business. This conversation is happening Um uh, with the backdrop of you being awarded our outstanding alumni award this this year, and um, yeah, talk about your relationship to the university and why you've chosen to to give back so much of your time and effort to this place. I love the University of Montana, and I love the college business. I, um, you know, you look back, and that was, that was a long time ago. <laughs> back in the early 80s. But I tell you, the experience I had and the people I met, both that are friends of mine today and even the professors that I was able to work, I mean, I just had such a wonderful experience. Mm. And it, it wasn't just the university. I think it was the community of Missoula. That's why we're back here. Um, I had a great experience, and I love the people, and I, I in, in terms of the school of business, I mean, the level of instruction that we got was absolutely wonderful. I look back on some of those people that just had, you know, just put a put a stamp. I'll never forget them. I'm Rudy Good, John Wick, Slee Tangadol, gosh, Jack Morton, Joe Weber, Marine Fleming. I mean, it's just <laughs> the list goes on. I mean, these are these are people I actually kind of like to go and listen to. <laughs> And uh, and then and then, you know, Montana is so weird, such a big state, but it's just one big little city really is. Um, um, I, 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 I have met so many people back then that today are they're my dear friends today. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's another reason we ended up finding our way back to Mosul, which many of them did the same. They left and found their way back. So I don't know. I mean, and I also know how important that university is to our overall economy and not just Missoula, but the state of Montana. Um, 
So I just, um, you know, you're, you're always going to have ups and downs. And, and I think higher education is, you know, I think it's going through some transformation itself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes we, in all of our businesses, we see, you know, things that are maybe broke. And I think, I think the ones that succeed are the ones that find a way to adjust. And I think that's happening. And I think uh, U of M's at that point right now under its current leadership, and they're making some adjustments. And hopefully, we ca- catch a few breaks here and there. And uh, I, I think we're going to get back to what uh, we're used to the U of M being. Um, just a great organ. It's a great institution. Yeah, I mean, it's an institution. I've been here eight years, and it's it's been. You know, it's been a challenging eight years. This this downward enrollment cycle we've been in, um, you know, it's 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 put a lot of pressures on the institution. You know, now this this COVID situation is, you know, felt like maybe we were starting to turn things around, and then we got hit with this. There's some reason to think that that we actually might respond. You know, we we might come out of this stronger. That it's a stress test that um, could really help us clarify the value we create and how we communicate that to our constituents. Um, yeah. What makes you bullish on this place? I, well, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a business leader and I'm an, uh, I am an employer Mm -hmm. and I look at the type of people that I want to hire today. And it's the type of people that have a very broad schooling, um, meaning in all areas, not just, uh, you know, a, a single, um, a single area in which they focus on sure. but a liberal arts school i think if we structure them a little bit differently take what we have in in all these different areas throughout the institution and combine them into what us as business people are looking for not just business people but other professions uh, what we're looking for in terms of employees we're we're gonna we're gonna get ahead of the game um, and, and I get it right now, you know, with, with engineering and things that, um, you know, our university doesn't have a, a big focus on. We still can create the type of um, employees that are so needed out there. People that can think. Yeah. People that can adjust. Um, and I, I think that's going to be where, where we find success at the University of Montana. I think so too, Scott. We align completely on that. Uh, I can't thank you enough for sharing your time and wisdom on this in this conversation, uh, but more broadly, you know, all that you do for this community, both through your work at the bank, but also through your incredible engagement and generosity through so many organizations here. We are proud to to call you um, the outstanding alumni for this year, and. Um, yeah, it's just I'm stoked to have you in our family, Scott. I appreciate it. Well, thank you, Justin. And to be honest, um, just like my dear friend Hal Frazier, who's no longer here, he was always accused of everything that he did in the community. It wasn't just for the bank. It was to make it the place that he lived a much better place. And that's what it's about. Awesome. Well, thank you. And I look forward to our, our next conversation. Thank you. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. A New Angle is underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot, with support from the University of Montana College of Business and Consolidated Electrical Distributors. A.J. Williams is our producer. Jeff Ament, John Wicks, and VTO made our music. And Jeff Meese is our master of all things sound. If you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, 
please email me at a new angle at umontana.edu. If you like what you heard, tell your friends about us. Thanks a lot and see you next time.